0: Matthew Bowman's new book is about the story of an alien abduction. Now, this guy doesn't usually write books about stuff like this. He's a scholar who studies religion and American culture. And his book is more than just about this really strange encounter in 1961. He's got this theory that the story tells us something about where we've ended up now in the culture, about how some people these days don't trust traditional institutions of authority. They're skeptical about science. They believe conspiracies. So there's the theory. But before you can get there, you've got to start with
1: the story itself, of course, because it's a doozy. Eddie and Barney Hill were married in May of 1960, and they lived in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. And in September 1961, they had not yet had a real honeymoon, and Barney wanted to do that with his wife. So he requested some time off, and they decided they would drive up to Montreal through Western New York so they could stop at Niagara Falls and then go into Canada and do some sightseeing there. The trip was a bit stressful. They found that Montreal, being largely French-speaking, they did not fit in as well as they thought they might. They were also an interracial couple. Barney was black, Betty was white, and Barney was experiencing some racial tension while on the trip. When, after four days, they heard there was a large storm approaching New England, they decided they would cut the trip short and head home to try to beat the storm. They cross the Canadian border into New Hampshire late at night on September 19. They drill for an uncertain amount of time, perhaps an hour, perhaps two hours. But then, Betty notices a light. The light seems to be following them. And as Benny said, it seemed to be falling up. They stopped, got out of the car, looked at it. They stopped again later at Franconia Notch, a noted tourist destination in New Hampshire. And then they stopped again a little bit south. Barney got binoculars out, got out of the car, looked at this light. He was terrified. Betty told a man named Donald Kehoe that Barney had seen figures in the light, moving, looking at him. He leapt back into the car, and they drove home rapidly. They arrived home right around dawn, when they fell asleep almost immediately. In 1964, plagued by nightmares, plagued by anxiety, the Hills consulted a psychiatrist in Boston, a man named Benjamin Simon, who was quite well respected. He had been a major figure in the military for quite a while, working hypnosis and therapy on soldiers suffering from what we would now call post-traumatic stress disorder. Under... ...hypnotic treatment from Benjamin Simon... ...both hills told a story... Um, ...far more developed... ...than the one they'd been telling to that point. In the story they told now... ...they both recalled... ...this light... ...after that third stop on their own... ...continuing to follow them... ...landing on the road in front of them... ...small figures getting out of the light... ...stopping their car taking them into this light, which they saw now was a crap. They both recalled being put on tables. They recalled these small creatures performing medical experiments on them, then being returned to their car. After this hypnosis, both hills then recovered this memory consciously. Their psychiatrist, Benjamin Simon, warned them that recovered memory is notoriously unreliable. He told them that he did not believe they had been abducted, that this story was an expression of other anxieties, but the Hills rejected that. They remembered this stuff vividly and thought it really happened, and because of that, they grew increasingly impatient with The sort of national regime of experts from the military to Simon to other scientists to major journalists who told them this did not happen, that this couldn't have happened, who tried to use this story to diagnose things about the hills, much of that related to their interracial marriage. Because of that, the hills begin to drift from this relatively mainstream, centrist, middle class life that they had been living they begin to move to the fringes of American culture. This journey they went on mirrors in a lot of ways what's happening in American society more broadly in the two or three decades after the end of World War II. As this national consensus around politics, around society, begins to break down in the 1960s, pressured by a number of social movements So the hills, of course, in some ways, their journey is very typical. They mirror a lot of these trends in American society, but it's also atypical because it was driven by an experience with the UFOs that becomes eventually the model for how Americans think about aliens and alien abduction.
0: This is Radio West. I'm Doug Fabrizio. Matthew Bowman's book is called The Abduction of Betty and Barney Hill. And Bowman is not so much interested in why Americans see strange things in the sky, but how that experience, however you
1: explain it, shifts and evolves. UFOs may seem fringy, but they're actually really near the center of American culture. In the last 60 or 70 years, they're one of the the signature motifs Of American culture. um, Many people have heard these stories. They have opinions about these stories. And I think what is fascinating about the hills um, is how typical that story is. Um, There have been many scholars um, who have looked at the symbol of the UFO, the alien, and the role it's played in American life over the last 50 or 60 years. And many of them will say, That far from being simply a bizarre aberration, these motifs, the small, gray, black-eyed alien, which, incidentally, um, appears first in the Hill's experience, but which has since become ubiquitous, um, the UFO, the flying saucer, these things are meaningful in post-war American life. And the way the Hill story evolves over time, as you note, is as it moves from being simply a story of a light to something much more detailed about abduction and imprisonment and experimentation, the story has resonated. and has been repeated. It has been represented in movies and popular culture and best-selling books precisely because I think it speaks to something about what has happened in American culture over the last 70 or 80 years. It's significant, even if it sounds fringy.
0: So in some ways, you could say that the tale of Benny and Betty is almost like an origin story for the social and political landscape of of right now.
1: In many ways, yes. Now, I would not be so bold as to say we can trace everything happening in our culture to Betty and Marty, no. but I do think um their story contains within it so many of these larger broader cultural forces at work from 1961 to the present that it's a really powerful microcosm um for what we've all lived through and we've all experienced
0: so what because what you're saying is that in 1961 there was a certain impression that Americans had about sort of their world order. And by the end of the 60s, basically all hell had broken loose. The New Deal social order that was in place, which is to say good faith debates, uh, a common sense of identity, pragmatic political policies, that starts to go away in part, only in part, of what Betty and Barney – Saw that September night. In some ways, people started to become disillusioned, started to distrust these these traditional institutions of America. I guess.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, it, it, it is a statistic that may seem astounding to us now, but there are polls from the early 1960s that show that upwards of three quarter of Americans agreed with the statement. We can generally trust the government to do the right thing in the early 1960s. Um, This is also the era in which the traditional um, religious denominations um, were at their peak in membership. Um, It is an era in which Americans tended to trust experts, to Mm. trust institutions, um, to feel that generally these large, powerful forces in American life would do the right thing. Um, but as you say, right, because of many, many reasons over that next decade, and you know, some scholars will speak of the long 1960s that runs from uh, the Brown versus Board of Education decision in 1955 yeah. through the resignation of Richard Nixon in 1974. In that 20 year period, so much of that trust collapses. So many Americans begin looking to other institutions, to far more marginal ideas and begin. True thing, these central institutions, the state, academia, um, the military, we can't trust these things anymore. And, And that's the journey that Betty and Barney go on. When this first
0: happens, when they first see what they describe as this light, the first telling of it, the world made sense to Betty and Barney, you say. What about other Americans? What did Americans think about flying saucers at that time before this story really takes off? You say Americans were kind of aware of them, a sense of kind of ambivalence about them. What, was, what did Americans think of these stories about flying saucers?
1: In 1947, a man named Kenneth Arnold, um, who was an amateur pilot, Um, was in his plane near Mount Rainier in Washington. And he sees while he's flying um, what he calls a number of um, disks that are moving, as he says, rather like a a rock that you're skipping over, the water might move, kind of an undulating up and down motion. When he lands his plane, he tells a local reporter about this and um, it gets picked up and it becomes national news. And very, very quickly, stories about what a reporter calls flying saucer is taking off from Arnold's depic- um, depiction really take off. And there were a number of other sightings in across 1947. And by the end of that year, virtual polls showed that virtually all Americans had heard of these things. Now, many of them had varying opinions on what they might be. Uh, many Americans thought, understandably, given um, that this was the origin of the Cold War, right? Um, the Cold War was just heating off at this point, that they might be Russian craft of some kind, or they might be military devices of some kind. And that's really significant. Had Kenneth Arnold described what he had seen a hundred years earlier, nobody would have thought these were mechanical craft of some kind, or, might have been ghosts or aliens you know, or, or, or fairies or who knows what. But in the context of the Cold War, many people assume that they are built machines whether from this earth or another. And at that point most people thought they're secret weapons of some sort.
0: I want you to underline that point because you write in the book that it wasn't actually inevitable that it would end up being the military as the you know the sort of the purview of UFOs, the provenance for UFOs. Um but it was because of the time period that that's how that ends up. That's interesting.
1: Exactly. Um, the first person, other than her sister, whom Betty Hill tells about this, is a man named Paul Henderson, who is an Air Force officer. Um, and she calls him because she simply assumes, well, these things are probably craft. Um, the military should take care of this. And they are somewhat dismayed when Henderson uh, more or less you know, politely brushes them up. He takes down their data, he writes this down, the report gets filed away, um, and the military does nothing with it. And that surprises Betty Hill, um, because she thinks that this is a really significant and important event. Why wouldn't the military want to pay more attention to it? And you see the first cracks, then, in her somewhat complacent worldview emerging at that point.
0: Matthew Bowman is an associate professor of religion and history at Claremont Graduate University. His book is called The Abduction of Betty and Barney Hill, Alien Encounters, Civil Rights, and the New Age in America. We'll take a break. Come back in a moment. You're listening to Radio West. All right. Well, let's talk about how the story goes from the first telling to the second one. Um, say a little bit more, if you would, about Benjamin Simon, the, the psychiatrist who conducts this session of hypnosis with Betty and, and, and Barney.
1: Tell us a little bit about,
0: um, I guess, his motives, where he's coming from when he enters the story.
1: So, Benjamin Simon is a quite well-respected psychiatrist. Um, He's a practitioner of hypnosis, um, which, in its own way, um, was entering the national spotlight. There's a lot of attention given to hypnosis and and the power, what it can do. Um, Simon, as a recognized national expert in this, someone who had given many talks on hypnosis, um, who had used it while a doctor in the U.S. military tries to downplay
0: that. Mm
1: -hmm. Um, He argues that um, memory and hypnosis are far more tentative and fragile things than popular media is presenting them as. Simon believes, though, that hypnosis can be useful um, for what he calls emotional memory. And that's a paraphrase of him. But he, he tells Betty and Barney that the story they may recover under brainwashing may not be a real genuine memory of the events they experienced, but it will put them in touch with their emotional states. And it can be useful for unpacking Mm -hmm. the sort of trauma that they may have experienced. Now now they go to him because they had been bothered in the intervening years by nightmares, by anxiety. Betty had had a number of nightmares in which... um, Now, we don't know precisely what the dreams were. She did write down a document in November 1961, two months after the experience, in which she tries to recount some of the dreams she'd been having. And these dreams were of her being taken by small, very human-like creatures. Uh, She remembers them having black hair and big noses. They take her onto a craft and they perform medical experiments on her. But it is important, I think, to recognize that the document she wrote about these dreams, he admits, reorganizes the dreams, um, takes these very kind of fragmented memories and puts them into a narrative. Um, But those have been bothering her. Barty had been bothered as well. He'd been suffering from a lot of anxiety, much of it surrounding um, his children. Um, He had, had as I mentioned before, undergone a divorce a few years earlier. Um, His wife had custody of his sons. He was not interacting with those sons as much as he was hoping he would, and that was causing him some anxiety as well. So, Barney had been seeing a counselor who referred him and Betty to Benjamin Simon. Um, and Simon was not intending to treat the hills in the long term. Um, he wanted, he said, to hypnotize them to get to the roots, yeah. the emotional roots of this anxiety, these nightmares they had yeah. been having and help them overcome them.
0: and not the roots of what actually happened that night on September 19th besides so what so what Betty says is happening in this, in this abduction is a reflection of a dream a nightmare what what Barney says is happening is a sort of um, a response to his anxiety a a i mean benjamin says that um barney's response his idea of what had happened in this so-called abduction was that this was a reflection of his fear of racial hostility coming out as you said anxiety about personal life those kinds of things so so these are these are all things that are these kind of internal psychological um expressions of concern, yet they manifest themselves as an actual discrete story of an abduction. So so I guess my question is, what is it that that Betty and Barney want from these experts, from the military, from the psychological community, That, that, that they want to be believed, not that this is a manifestation of their anxiety or of their dreams, but that it actually happened.
1: Like, what do they want? Exactly that. Um, they want to be believed. They want to be taken seriously as well. And I think that is something um, that's very much an undercurrent of their interactions with Simon and with the military. Um, you know, they undergo six sessions of hypnosis with Simon, and by the end of that. And they have these really kind of powerful, vivid memories that which closely mirror Betty's dreams. Um, although Betty will argue that, you know, she was dreaming um, what had actually happened and now she can remember it consciously. Simon tells them, I don't believe this happened. I think, you know, these stories are instead this sort of manifestation, as you say, of, of racial anxiety, of being kidnapped, of being held against your will, of having violence done to you, all of these sorts of things. Um, and they read Simon as being condescending and truth be told he was condescending um, to them there are letters Mm -hmm. from him later in which he's telling other people "Um, I didn't want to get into an argument with the Hills because they just don't have the expertise that I do and it wouldn't be a fair fight he more or less says that in a letter Um, he could come across as being kind of supercilious and dismissive Um, and they take this Quite personally, And they more or less are reading um, Simon is, as telling them what they remembered mm. was not true. And Barty says, he tells an interviewer later, you know, Barty was a, a military veteran. He had been in the army during World yeah. War II. And he tells uh, an interviewer later that this felt as though Simon was telling him, you did not actually fight in the military. Um, you don't remember what you remember didn't really happen. Um, similarly, when they interview with the Air Force, uh, the Air Force um, dismisses them, right? And Betty says later, I, I felt like he sh- they should have come out to talk to us. They didn't take us seriously. The people who do take Betty and Barney Hill seriously, though, are the UFO community, people who already believe that UFOs are real. Those are the people who receive them and who they felt they feel validated by. Um, and that's pretty significant to them. And it, it's one reason that, that they eventually move, I think, to what we might call the fringes of American society Hmm. and away from these sort of central institutions of power.
0: Because that is the question, isn't it? How it is that this disagreement between uh, a psychiatrist and his two patients about what this story means, they say, no, it doesn't mean anxiety or hostility. It means it was a recovered memory of something that actually happened. So there's this disagreement, but so what? How is it that this thing takes off and becomes something bigger. Um, grounds, as you say, for a new sort of world building, because it really, it, it, it doesn't just sit there, it takes off.
1: Yeah, it, it does take off. And I think it takes off because there is another community of Americans, right? Other people who are feeling alienated from these central institutions for some of the same uh-huh. reasons that Betty and Marty are, who are willing yeah. uh, to seize upon it. Uh, Right, And to say, yes, this demonstrates all of these things um, that we believe. And and one of those um, is this organization, NICAP, um, the National Investigations Committee for Aerial Phenomena, which was formed by a man named Donald Peehoe, who was an ex-military officer who believed that the military knew more about UFOs than it was admitting, Um, who was one of the originators of that now very commonplace belief. Um, When he hears the story of Betty and Barney, he sends investigators to interview them. Um, He has reports written up of their story. He takes them seriously. And they appreciate that. Um, And increasingly, they become more intertwined with the people um, from NICAP and begin to connect their experience to these broader stories of government cover ups.
0: I want to ask you about the the actual bodies of the aliens this is something that you write about um and how much of this um the way the alien bodies are described first of all talk about that the way betty the way barney talk about the alien bodies themselves what they look like um and and talk a little bit about how the um the racial implications play into the story too, because this is sort of part of this.
1: Yes, yes. This is, I think, really fascinating. I mean, it is one way in which uh, the initial stories that the Hills record before the hypnosis and the stories they tell after the hypnosis are, are in subtle ways, but important ways, I think, rather different. So first, the first description we have of what these creatures look like is from the stories that the hills tell the investigators from the National Investigations Committee on Area Phenomenon. Yeah, the, the, their descriptions here are very glancing, um, hmm. sideways. They don't give an actual description of these creatures. They they describe them through analogy and through metaphor. Barney says they remind him of German officers that they're almost military in their precision. Betty, in her dreams, as I mentioned earlier, describes them as being quite human The document she writes summarizing her dreams has them with big noses, dark hair. Later on, they change. Yes. After the hypnosis, they change somewhat and become increasingly less human. Barney uses a couple of well-known in in the UFO literature descriptions for these people. First, he emphasizes their eyes. He says, the eyes of the creatures who stared at him from off the graph were terrible. They were captivating. Um, They made him feel like an animal being hunted. He describes them then as being like Nazis, which from a World War II veteran, I think is somewhat significant. Um, And then he says, one of them reminds him of an Irishman, um, which is interesting. Um, And he says this to Simon. Because Irish people are usually hostile towards people of color. But this <laughs> was greeny, right? So for Barney, we again are not getting really precise descriptions of their bodies, um, but we are getting a lot of, um, of sense of, of racial hostility here. That these aliens for him um, are analogous um, to white people who do not like black people, right? There's a lot of sense of foreignness, of threat of the other happening here. Betty gives a, a much more kind of full description later to an artist named David Baker who draws pictures of these creatures for yeah. him. And, and the pictures that he produces are very much the stereotypical alien that you see all over American pop culture today. And they they emerge from the Hills encounter. They are small, they have grayish skin, large right. eyes. They are hairless um, with kind of Bulbous dome-like heads. And Betty, I think, quite interestingly, um, as she is describing them, she recalls a speech that the Hills had seen given by an anthropologist named Carlton Kuhn. Now, Carlton Kuhn was a racist in his own right. Um, He describes um, Homo sapiens, the human species that we are all members of, as evolving at different places in different times. He believed that white people evolved differently than black people did, even though all of them were homo sapiens. Betty doesn't really remember the kind of details of Coombs' anthropology, but she does recall this notion of human evolution, um, Mm -hmm. that people evolve differently according to their environments. And she believes, she tells Simon this, she tells many other people this, she believes that these alien creatures are analogous to what human beings might evolve into in millions of years. Yeah.
0: In a kind of in a kind of not, maybe not perfected state, but you describe her image of these alien bodies as one that helped her order her this egalitarian universalist.
1: Yeah, universe. exactly, right? That the, these creatures are not so far different. From human beings. And this is really consistent with her interactions with them that she describes under her She has long conversations. They express sort of humor. They seem very relatable to her in a way that's not true at all for Barney. Um, For Barney, they are distant. They are Mm -hmm. frightened. They are oppressive. He does not recall any communication with them whatsoever. Um, And you see, I think, in the divergent expressions of the two hills towards these creatures, ways of thinking about race in America in the 1960s that I think are quite telling. As you say, right, Betty is very much a a kind of optimistic racial egalitarian. Um, She condemns racism. She is a member of the National Association for the Advancing of Color People, but she believes ultimately um, in colorblindness, as many, I think, um, progressive white people in the 1950s and 1960s did that we should just stop talking about race in America. We should treat everybody the same, no matter of who they are. Um, And that's how she thinks about the aliens. Barney is, I think, increasingly less optimistic in that way. He also was a member of the NAACP. He's an activist as much as his wife is. Um, He attends Martin Luther King's March on Washington in August 1963. Uh, But he also, I think, by the later years of the 1960s, as many African-Americans in the country are, becoming increasingly pessimistic about the possibilities of this kind of colorblind egalitarianism. Um, he's, he's, you know, this is after the Civil Rights Act has been passed, after the Voting Rights Act has been passed, and yet the way white people treat black people is not really improving. In fact, there's a racial backlash mounting in the late 1960s, um, and Barney is increasingly pessimist, I think, about the possibilities That laws and reform will solve racism in America. And his his memory of the aliens, his experience of the aliens, um, very much, I think, is emblematic of that, of this just overpowering sense of racial hostility that he feels from them.
0: Whereas Betty seems to be thinking about aliens and alien bodies in the same way you see in like Storylines from from Star Trek, you know, that the 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 superior societies look at American or world culture as provincial and unsophisticated because they have something like racism Um just, that's where, that's sort of where she's coming from. Because it seems like that was a reflection of the time, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And it's very characteristic, I think, of, of course, of the denomination they belong to. They're both Unitarians, and they yeah. joined the Unitarian Church because the Unitarian Church is, in the 50s and 60s, mostly white, but also quite progressive on race in that way. There's a real desire, I think, on the part of Unitarians to integrate their congregation. Well, talk about how
0: religion figures into this then, as you say, before their experience, they're Unitarians, they figured religion was as you put in the book, respectable and rational and congregational. But after they go through this experience of basically people not believing them, the military dismissing them, uh, you know the psychological community pathologizing them, how does that change the way they see? Religion and maybe give us a sense of how how that fits today. How religion used to be thought of as rational and congregational, and may not be at least certain strains of of, of religious faith today.
1: Absolutely, as as you say, right? Um, their Unitarianism, I think, really marks how they initially understand and comprehend what happened to them. Um, Unitarianism was really prided itself in this period as being a scientific religion. And in terms of psychology, Unitarianism embraces psychology as a science, but it's also very, very skeptical of Freudianism, of the idea of the unconscious, of the sense that there are parts of of us that we don't really understand, and we might react to things um, in ways that aren't really ever explainable, which is, of course, rather what Benjamin Simon was telling the Hills about their recovered memory, and the Hills reject that in part, I think, because they were Unitarian, um, because they thought, right, psychology will just reveal us to ourselves. The Unitarians believed in the 1950s that they were going to expand tremendously, that their faith, this rational scientific faith, was suited to the age, suited to the time it would eventually become a major American religion. This did not, of course, happen, and it did not happen in part for reasons that Betty and Barney Hill begin not necessarily to drift out of Unitarianism because they remain members of the denomination, but, but they begin to experience what we might call religion in new ways, consonant with how many other Americans are experiencing it. And,
0: and what does that mean, though? Does that mean skeptical of science, skeptical of the government?
1: Right, but, but more kind of thinking more broadly about what science might be, huh. and this whole shift has been referred to in shorthand. It's not a great shorthand, but it's recognizable, so I will use it as the the new age, and what the new age is is a, this broad, kind of eclectic movement towards ideas that were in this traditional denominational sunday worship oriented. Um, kind of a religion ideas that might be considered french <laughs> um but though had long deep roots in western culture so some people involved in the new age begin resuscitating and reviving european esotericism which is to say folk magic um psychic powers <laughs> channeling of spirits seance <laughs> All of this stuff is becoming increasingly prevalent in America in the late 1960s, and it is happening outside the borders of denominations. And many Americans, although they might be on the rolls of the Unitarian Universalist Association or the Methodist Episcopal Church, are beginning to dabble in this stuff. And this is a new way of experiencing religion. That is, instead of through these large institutions or uh, through a congregation or through a trained ministry, New Age stuff is the kind of thing you do in the, in the living rooms with your friends. It's stuff that you encounter in bookstores, in lecture circuits, through the movies, right? You're experiencing all of this in new ways, and that's what happens to Betty and Barney Hill. Through some of these contacts in the UFO community they've begun cultivating, They become exposed to ideas of channeling, which is when you um, speak in the voice of a spirit or being from another plane. Uh, They become exposed to the idea of psychic powers, the idea of reincarnation. And they start experimenting with all of this Mm -hmm. and finding in it a validation of their experiences. Uh, Many of the New Age believers believe them. They believe that they were abducted. And in fact, they, w- they want to help the Hills regain contact with these aliens who had so transformed their lives six, seven, eight year- years earlier. And as the Hills are drawn into this world, then they increasingly leave behind um, the kind of mainstream denominational religion of their past.
0: Matthew Bowman, his book is called The Abduction of Betty and Barney Hill alien encounters civil rights and the new age in america we'll take another break and come back in a moment you're listening to radio west I wanted to ask you about something that happens to Betty a little later in her life. This is after Barney had died. She said that she saw a, a UFO travel behind some trees. This was in in September, on September 19th, in fact, in 1978. This is, of course, on the anniversary of the first sighting in, in 1961. And she said she wondered whether the alien beings, I guess, were sort of recognizing Barney's death in some way. And you say in the book that she was looking for meaning about whether her relationship with her husband mattered. What do you mean? What's what's going on here?
1: Yes. Um, so we should first, I think, um, mentioned that Barty dies. Um, He dies in February 1969, and it's quite sudden, and it's enormously devastating um, to Betty, And, and this breaks her world. And she begins very much, I think, trying to look in this new world she has, this new world of deep interconnections between different phenomena, Um, Deep interconnections between the material world around her and the spiritual world that she is learning about um, from all of her friends who are involved in the New Age Um, for Barney, Hmm. right? And for a sense that their experience together, their life together, and perhaps even Barney, in whatever new reality he is, may still be living in, um, might still be, be something that she can reach out and touch and make contact with. But it begins, after Barney's death, to see more and more UFOs. Um, She begins visiting fields outside of Portsmouth, New Hampshire, many nights a week, looking for UFOs. Um, And she sees that with some frequency. She has um, what is, to her, I think, a very meaningful experience. Driving um, home late one night and you know, on a road in rural New Hampshire soon after Barney's funeral, um, she sees a UFO following her and she gets out of her car and she yells at it. and she says, You're looking for Barney. Barney's not here anymore. He's in the cemetery. And so I think this, this new world that she moves into later in her life, a, a world really characterized perhaps by some connection. Um, to her old life, as I say, she remains a member of her Unitarian congregation, and her minister comes and and serves her on the on the night of Barney's death, and you know sits with her. But simultaneously, along with that, she starts looking for meaning in new places, um, and she finds it in this really deep, connected world that incorporates her experiences with aliens and shows her ways in which that initial experience might be bound to the reality of an afterlife.
0: Do you think that, in some ways, that this is just a story, kind of a study in what happens to people when they are not believed? Or if you don't treat people who have these experiences to say they do anyway with some kind of empathy or respect because if this is an origin story for the political landscape of right now what do you think you sort of learn from this story about Betty and Barney that that you could deconstruct and work reengineer um like like what are these different authorities supposed to do with a story like that because maybe if there was a different reaction that could Change or alter. I know this is counterfactual, and you can't deal with that, but it does make me wonder if they, if there would have been a different reaction to these two people, if that would change or alter that kind of conspiracy thinking, at least in part. What do you, what do you think about that?
1: Yeah, no, that's a really excellent question, and I think there are there are two responses to it. Um, the first is well, one of the things I'm trying to do with this book is something that I tell my students, which is to say, you know, I, I teach religion. I teach classes on new religious movements, and we look at new religious movements that are often scorned, like Scientology, for instance, or like Heaven's Gate. And one thing I tell them is that um, one of the purposes of an education in the humanities is comprehension. Mm-hmm. And comprehension is not the same thing as agreement. So I want my students to... Take Scientology quite seriously, and to ask themselves why is it that a movement like this has gained thousands of converts in America in the last sixty years? Why is it that such high percentages of Americans say to pollsters that they believe that UFOs, or what as are often called now UAPs, Mm -hmm. unidentified aerial phenomena, that these things are real, that there's something in the skies that we don't understand? And it's our job, I think, especially if we're living in a democracy where a kind of robust public life in which citizens express their opinions and debate and deliberate, it's our job to understand why people believe these things. I mean, simply pathologizing it and saying, well, they're crazy, um, or dismissing these beliefs as something not worthy of understanding. Um is abdicating, in a sense, I think, the responsibility of me as a humanities professor, mm-hmm. but also, I think, of, of what it means to be in a democracy. And again, I want to say, right, understanding these beliefs is not the same thing as agreeing. Yeah. But it is to say, right, that that some beliefs take deep root and others don't. And why some do and why others don't is significant. And it's something we can, I think, understand. Um, so that's, I think, the first reason why taking a story like this um, seriously is important. Um, and I think the second one is related to it, right? And that that is tied to this um, kind of rise of, of therapy culture in the United States and our tendency, right, to pathologize things and to say that the beliefs that seem alien or strange or even abhorrent to us are the product of of sickness, of disorder. Um, in some way. I, that sometimes is true, but other times I think it, it's an excuse to to say, you know, there's nothing we can do about this but eliminate it. Um, and I think um, that can be counterproductive as well. To Betty and Barty's own experience, right, and, and, and I'll say this finally about the world they lived in, I think what their story exposes to us is that the people who dismiss them those things were themselves not simply expressions of, of reality, quote unquote, or normalcy. They were institutions with their own agendas and their own ideologies, which were as much products of their culture and their society as Betty and Barney Hill were. And they, this reveals to us, I think, the real challenge of living in what we hope is a democratic society, a society in which people with different beliefs And different, um, sources of training and different sources of ideas come together. Um, and I think one lesson we might take from Betty and Barney Hill is to not say, well, of course their story is true and right. And they, and they deserve to be, um, to be honored for it, but to say, right, that when Benjamin Simon told them your memory is false and this did not happen. He was doing so from his own set of assumptions and presuppositions um, and ideological blinders. And he had those just as Betty and Barney Hill did. And that, I think, forces us to not only take seriously, but to always interrogate and be willing to analyze the belief systems that people and institutions present to us.
0: So what do you think happened to the Hills in September of 1961?
1: There have been many, many attempts to explain what the Hills saw, if it was not, in fact, a a spacecraft from another world. Um, There are people who say that they saw simply the planet Jupiter. Um, There are people who say that um, they saw a tram, which used to travel up and down um, a mountain in Franconia Notch, where they were driving through. Um, I have never found any of those explanations sufficient um you know when i come down actually pretty close to what benjamin simon mm-hmm. told them which is that he thinks they saw something um and it was something that they could not identify or explain and something that we being 60 years later now and who were not there that night will never i think be able to explain so i do think that i think they saw something strange i'm not entirely convinced it was an alien spacecraft I don't know that it was, but I don't know that I can simply tell them it was Jupiter and expect them to be content with that either. Um, I think the abduction story is most likely what Simon thought it was, which is, that is to say, a confabulation of nightmares and other anxieties. I don't believe they were abducted. But I do think they saw something, and I can't tell you what that was. Matthew Bowman,
0: thank you very much.
1: Thank you. This has been a lot of fun.
0: Matthew Bowman, he's an associate professor of religion and history at Claremont Graduate University. His book is called The Abduction of Betty and Barney Hill, Alien Encounters, Civil Rights, and the New Age in America. Radio West is a production of KUER. You can subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. The program is produced by Benjamin Bombard and Tim Slover. Carrie Watson is our executive producer. I'm Doug Fabricio.